Father God, we thank you that Jesus is alive. He is not dead. And on this great Resurrection Sunday, we think of all of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are suffering for their faith right now. Suffering because they are bold enough to declare that Jesus is alive and that he is the only true God, the only Lord, the only King, uh, and the only one to be worshipped and adored. Uh, And so, Lord, we pray for those that are suffering for their faith today. We pray especially, Lord, for the families of those Coptic Christians that were murdered uh, last Sunday uh, as they gathered together to worship the Lord reminding us that it's in many places in the world it's not safe to gather as Christians. And we thank you. We live in a country where right now it is safe to gather, and we pray that it might always be so, but we lift them up to you. And Lord, we also lift up uh, the two big trouble spots in our world today, uh, North Korea and Syria. I know there are many others, Lord, but uh, especially in those two places, Uh, We do pray, Lord, that uh, you would bring about the collapse of the Kim regime there in North Korea so those people can be set free to live and free even to know Jesus. And we also pray for peace there in Syria, an end to the hostilities there, Lord, and peace around our world as well, but especially those two places. And we pray, Lord God, that Korea especially would not lead us into another big war. But keep us safe, Lord God, and protect South Korea, protect all our brothers and sisters in Christ and that nation. Hear the prayers of those people and hear our prayers uh, and bring peace to the Korean Peninsula and unity to the Korean Peninsula. Uh, Lord, make a shift in the hearts of the Chinese, whatever it takes, Lord, to bring about peace and unity under Jesus in freedom. And Lord, as we come to you today, we pray that uh, the truth of the resurrection might shine forth boldly in our hearts and our minds. Lord, as we go to your word today, I pray that you'd open it up to us, that you'd remind us of the great salvation that we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that you'd encourage us and strengthen us all in the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, we worship you, we honor you, and we adore you. And I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit might rest on me to bring your word to your people today, boldly and faithfully. We thank you and praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll begin in Mark chapter 16, starting with verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. That's Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. 
And then over to 1 Peter, the first chapter, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you will also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you, sh- you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I get this magazine every week called The Week. And uh, one of the things it has in there is a little section called Poll Watch. And I was struck by the, the headline of a poll that said that 25% of Christians do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And I found that very interesting. And so I looked up the, the poll online. You can get it on uh, the BBC. It's a poll that they commissioned for Palm Sunday. I thought it was interesting. There, there are a lot of different things in there. But I looked in, for example, the issue of church. And I, I noticed there that, according to this poll, 
only 31% of Christians who, uh, people who call themselves Christians. And, and this is the thing about the poll. They didn't give a definition of whether, what a Christian was. Uh, and so these are people who self-identify as Christians. Only 31% attend church at least once a month. Uh, 20%, only 20% do so weekly. 68% of quote-unquote Christians never attend church or do so less than once a month. 37% never attend. In terms of life after death, it's interesting, our nation is rather split. 46% of people believe in life after death, and 46% of people don't believe in life after death. Uh, the rest are a little confused and don't really know. Now, in terms of the resurrection of Jesus, and this is the part that I found most startling, uh, of people in our country, only 50% of all the people in the UK believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Only half believe in the resurrection in any way, shape, or form. Only 31% of people who call themselves Christians believe the biblical version of the, the resurrection. Only 31% of people who call themselves Christians believe in the biblical version of the resurrection. And only 57% of active Christians believe in the biblical version of the resurrection. And then 25% of self-identified Christians do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Well, I can state one thing based on the Bible and based on 2,000 years of history to be categorically true. If you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you are not a Christian. If you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you are not a Christian. It's absolutely foolish to be a Christian if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, you know, if the dead have not risen and Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then our faith is useless. It's worse than useless. I mean, why would we even bother getting up on a Sunday morning? And clearly, most people, most people who call themselves Christians don't bother getting up on Sunday morning. But why would we who do and who practice our faith get up on a Sunday morning if Jesus hadn't gotten up from the dead also on a Sunday morning? The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation for us. The resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone doctrine of Christianity. If you don't believe that Jesus was risen bodily from the dead, you are not, by biblical definition, a Christian. As Paul said, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Conversely, if you do not confess that Jesus is your Lord and do not believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you are not saved. You are not saved. But when you look at the poll, it explains a lot. 
It explains a lot about the condition of the church in our country. It explains a lot about the condition of our nation. I, I think when I went back to the BBC site and I was reading there, uh, the thing that really turned my stomach a little bit was the number of Christian leaders who tried to put a positive spin on this and said, well, you know, think there, there are so many people in our country that still have the vestiges of religious belief. And I'm thinking, well, maybe you didn't read the same results that I was reading, but this is not good news uh, for the United Kingdom. This is not good news for, for the people of our country, and it certainly does not indicate that the people in our nation have the vestiges of Christian belief. But it does tell us a lot, because it's no wonder that so many Christians... Uh, self-identified or otherwise are living such weak and powerless life because if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus you can't live you're not really alive and if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus then you have no faith for overcoming all the obstacles and the problems that we face if we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus we don't have hope for overcoming situations like the Korean Peninsula and the, the war in the Middle East. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then all you have to resort to is bold power or money to try to force your way to happen in the world. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then you can't be sure that your life matters, that your life counts. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, it is impossible to lead the good life as the Bible has described it. The resurrection of Jesus is essential, yet we're confident because the resurrection of Jesus is the most well-established ancient historical fact. There is no other fact of history, of ancient history, that is as well attested as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you look, the evidence is there that Jesus has risen from the dead. He was really dead. He was really put in the grave. And on the third day, he really rose bodily from the dead. And the evidence is there for anybody who will look at it with honesty and integrity. They will see that Jesus Christ is alive. And that is why we gather, and that is the hope that we have, and that is the impetus for living the good life. But the challenge is that even when we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, even when we believe that he has risen from the dead, so many Christians are still living in faithlessness and fear. So many Christians are still struggling to lead the good life. And we say, well, why is it and the reason so often is that we don't take hold of the resurrection good life that is ours in Christ Jesus. Jesus has given us life, but we need to take hold of it and we need to determine to live it every single day. Jesus has given us everything by the Spirit of God necessary for life and godliness. But we still need to choose to live it. We need to grab a hold of it. We need to choose to believe it. And we need to choose to apply it to our lives every single day. So often we, uh, we, we approach the, the whole Christian life in Christ, uh, the resurrection life, a bit like the guy who kept praying to win the lottery. 
Every day for years, he said, God, please let me win the lottery. Let today be the day. Let this week be the week. And year after year, he's praying, and finally God spoke to him and said, listen, would you meet me halfway? Buy a ticket. And so often that's how we live. We don't step in. We're praying for things. We want things. We say we want things, but we don't grab a hold of them. We don't choose to believe them. We don't go after them. We somehow think that God will spoon feed us the things that He has promised us, but you spoon feed a baby. You don't spoon feed an adult. And we want to be treated like adults, but we want to be spoon fed by God, and that doesn't make sense. So how do we grab a hold of the good resurrection life that we have in Jesus Christ? How do we live it out every single day? Well, Peter gives us some counsel here in 1 Peter chapter 1. And he gives us a a few things, and I'd kind of summarize them in a number of ways. Number one, we need to celebrate the good life that we have in Christ because it's a guarded inheritance. Notice what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the power of God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What is he saying here? He's saying that we've been given new life. God has caused us to be born again. And it's happened through the resurrection of Jesus. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is surrounding our lives to ensure that the inheritance that has been promised to us by the gospel of Jesus Christ will be given to us at the right time. We are living in that reality. We have that reality on our lives. And that is true for us every single day. It's true for us whether or not we feel it. It's true for us whether or not our attitude is there. It's true for us every single day of our lives. And by the power of God, it will never stop not be, it will never not be true for us. We can celebrate this. Every single day, this is your reality. Even if it seems like the whole world is against you, this is your reality. Even when you feel terrible and you don't want to get out of bed in the morning, this is your reality. And we need to choose to look at this reality and celebrate this reality and rejoice in this reality. It's no wonder that so many people don't want to follow Jesus because they don't see us rejoicing in the life that we have in Jesus Christ, the life that comes by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter tells us, celebrate the good life you have in Christ. It's your guarded inheritance. It's yours, and God is protecting it for you. Then a second thing. Don't let your struggles define your life. Instead, they refine your life. Don't let your struggles define your life. They refine your life. Peter goes on, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith 
more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The struggles you have, the challenges you face, including those you face because you stand for Jesus, they are things that don't define you, they refine you. But too often what we do is we let our struggles define us. I don't know how many times I've, I've talked to people who have said, oh yeah, well, I, I'm in terrible shape because my parents you know, were really bad. They, they argued and they fought and they did this and they did that. And, and you know, I've heard these stories so many times and I've heard stories about people who have gone through the most horrific things and then they come out strong and the people who go through things that quite frankly are not that bad and they come out completely broken. And the difference is how they see these things and how they approach these things. One group of people let the struggles define them. Another group of people let the struggles refine them. And the thing is, this is your choice. Nobody can keep the struggles from either defining you or refining you. It's your choice. All of our parents are broken. All of our parents have been messed up in some way. None of us are living the perfect life. Almost every single person that I've ever encountered will tell me, well, my life didn't turn out exactly like I wanted it to. Almost every single person. I, I've hardly ever met anybody, maybe two or three people in 30 or 40 years who have said, yeah, my life is perfect. It's exactly what I wanted it to be. It generally doesn't happen for us. And Satan only lets it happen a couple of times to make us jealous of those people. Well, the truth is we go through all kinds of stuff in our lives and our choice is whether this stuff will define us or refine us. And because we have a life that has been given to us in Jesus Christ, an indestructible resurrection life in Jesus Christ, we have the ability as Christians, by virtue of who we are in Jesus, to choose to allow struggles to refine us and not define us. Because I don't know about you, but for me, the resurrection life I have in Jesus Christ, the fact that I've been born again and that I am a son of God and Jesus is my elder brother and I'm adopted into the family of God, that defines me. There is nothing else that will define me. My marriage doesn't define me. My friendships don't define me. The things I have don't define me. The money I have, the job I have, the leader I am, none of that defines me. It's God who defines me. And it's also God who refines me. And so the challenge Peter gives us is do not let your struggles define your life. They refine your life. The third thing here. Peter tells us, believe and rejoice because salvation is our destiny. Believe and rejoice. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, that means us, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This salvation is ours in Jesus Christ. And so we need to believe and rejoice. We believe when we choose to believe. Belief is not something that happens to you by accident. The Spirit of God certainly gives you the ability to have faith, but you need to choose to exercise the faith. And we believe and we rejoice. And the key about rejoicing with inexpressible joy, that comes, as I've said before, joy comes by how you focus. Joy comes through your focus. There's anybody here that if you focused on certain things about me, you would not have any joy in me at all. Yeah? And the same is true for you. I thought about starting with you, but I thought I'd start with me. Uh, but the same is true for you. There are certain things that annoy us about each other. Isn't that right? You know, and then there's different, you know, and, and our challenge here at City Temple is not only are there just the normal person-to-person annoyances, but we also deal always with the culture-to-culture annoyances. You know, there, there are ways that we, we accidentally hurt each other we're not even aware of, and we do this all the time. It's part of the dynamic of a polycultural church, and that's the reality. And the key is, though, if we're going to have joy in who we are and where we are, we've got to focus on the things that are positive. We focus on the things that are good. We focus on the things that are beautiful, and that will bring us joy. And that's why we focus on Jesus as first and foremost in our lives. That is how you have this joy that cannot be fully expressed and cannot be defeated. You focus on Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate object of our joy. And the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead should give us uh, the joy to the uttermost. I can't see anybody rejoicing in a dead Jesus. I wouldn't rejoice in a dead Jesus. I wouldn't follow a dead Jesus because he'd be dead. I might as well follow Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or Winston Churchill as my God because they're all dead. I might as well follow Buddha or Muhammad or, because they're all dead. But Jesus is alive. And that's why I follow Jesus and that's why I rejoice. And that's why I know that I have a salvation that is guaranteed for me, one that begins right now in this life that allows me to live the good life. But I have to believe and rejoice. I have to choose faith and choose focus so that I will believe and I will rejoice. If I don't do that, then I will miss my destiny. But this salvation life is my destiny. And so because of that, I choose to believe and rejoice. And then Peter goes on and tells us a fourth thing. He says, prepare your mind, which includes our, our emotions and our will, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we choose. Prepare your mind to live well by grace. Prepare your mind to live well 
by grace. Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's astounding to me how often we do not get ready to take action as Christians. We're not thinking about our opportunities. We're not thinking about how we can forgive. We're not thinking about how we can share Jesus in the day-to-day course of our lives. We don't even give it a thought. How many times have we, and I, I put myself in this situation, how many times have we encountered somebody who needed to be healed, but we didn't pray for them? And only later did we say, oh man, I could have prayed for this person. I could have prayed for this person. How many times does that happen? How many times do we think about what we could have done or should have done after the fact? Why is that? It's simply because we have not prepared our minds for action. We're not clear-headed, sober-minded. We're not preparing our mind, our will, and our emotions. And it includes all three concepts there. Now, we need to think right. We need to be thinking. We need to be planning. One of the things that I often do if I'm praying through the Lord's Prayer and I get to the forgive us this day, or uh, no, forgive us our debts as we forgive uh, uh, those who are indebted to us, I get to that moment and I say, Lord, not only do I choose to forgive those who have wounded me, but also right now I choose to forgive anybody who's going to wound me today. When I do that, I'm, I'm forgiving in advance. And you know, it's very powerful when you do that. It is very powerful. You can say, God, as I go through my my work today, let me see how you are at work in my workplace. And you know what? If you do that, God will show you things. But you've got to prepare your minds for action. So often what we do is we tip our hat to the resurrected Christ on Sunday, and then from Monday we just live for ourselves. If you do that, you will never experience the good resurrected life in Jesus Christ. You won't. Because every day you have to prepare and keep preparing your minds, your your mind, your will, your emotions to take action. How do we prepare our emotions? Well, part of that is we be attuned to our emotions. Think about the things that make you genuinely angry. They should cause you to pay attention to something that's going on. Think about if you start to feel a sense of concern uh, or a little bit of anxiety. It should alert you that something is happening that you need to pay attention to. In In our will, you can make choices for your day at the start of your day. God, today I choose to bless everybody and I will not curse. You can make those kinds of choices that activate yourself throughout your day. And that's what Peter says. He says, prepare our minds, literally, gird up our minds, uh, get us ready to go for action. Uh, I was reminded of this this morning when Karen and I were walking up the steps out here because she's got a long dress today. And there was one point in time where she stepped on the dress as she was walking up the steps uh, just a little bit, almost tripped herself uh, a bit. And, and what you have to do, ladies, as you know, I don't have to do that, uh, but uh, you have to lift up your skirt just ever so slightly so you don't step on it. And that enables you to take action. 
That's the idea that Peter is getting at here. He says, get ready to get moving. And so often we don't experience the resurrection life because we've not prepared our hearts, our our mind, our will, and our emotions to live it on a day-to-day basis. Then the fifth thing he says here, he says, live holy and don't be ignorant. Live holy and don't be ignorant. I wanted to choose another word, but I know some people don't like the, the S word. It's not the S word you're thinking of, but another S word. So I, I just, I'll use the word he uses here. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, first of all, this live holy, don't be ignorant, we've got to not be ignorant. And that is, if you're following your passions all the time, literally your lusts, if you're seeing, oh, oh, wow, I, I love that cake, or I love that woman, or that image, or that, that handbag, or you know, whatever you put in there, whatever you might lust after, if you're following your lust, they will always lead you astray. And they will never lead you in the path of the good resurrection life of Jesus. Never. Never. So, so Peter is saying here, now don't, don't be ignorant here. Don't follow those ways, but live holy. Now, by living holy, all of a sudden, for some of us, if you've been around the church very long, you can start thinking of holiness churches. You know, the churches where you've got to wear certain kind of clothes, and you'd never, you know, even look at alcohol, let alone drink alcohol. Uh, and, uh, oh, you, you know, having a TV in your home, that's a terrible thing. You know, godly people would never have a TV or never go to the cinema uh, or any of those kinds of things. But that's not what Peter is talking about. Holiness, the idea behind holiness is to have something that is set apart. Set apart for a special purpose. Uh, this morning I had my, uh, my uh, love mug. My love mug. Uh, uh, um, Mark gave this to me. Uh, I love you too, man. Uh, and, uh, and, and this, you know, this love mug, I've never seen anybody else walking around City Temple carrying my love mug. Never. That's why, because uh, some of you don't know about it. Now that you know about it, you're going to go and try to go in the kitchen and sneak it, I know. And use it, and then, and that's why I never wash it. Just to let you know. Uh, so, uh, so if you want to use it, that's fine. Just know that it's never washed. But, uh, and that might be why you don't use it. But anyway, uh, but the the reason is the staff all know this is my love mug. You know, it's my love mug. Now, what does that mean? It means that the love mug is holy. It is set apart for my use. That's what live holy means. It's to live in a way where you realize that your life belongs to God, that God has redeemed you, that God has set you apart for his purposes. It doesn't mean to be better than other people, you know, have a I'm better than you are kind of attitude. It doesn't mean that uh, uh, you can't do certain things, that it's wrong to eat food or anything like that. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that in everything you do, realize that you belong to Jesus. When you're at work, you belong to Jesus. When you go to the cinema, you belong to Jesus. 
When you're at home watching TV, you belong to Jesus. Uh, when you're taking care of your kids, you belong to Jesus. When your kids are taking care of you, you belong to Jesus. In everything, you belong to Jesus Christ. And we need to live with that reality in our minds. And if we live with that reality in our minds, we will live in a holy way. If you live with the attitude that Jesus is with me all the time, and Jesus sees you, and you live in that reality, it will change the way you live. Well, that's okay. We could talk about it afterwards. Have some. Uh, so if we live in that reality, if we live in that reality that we are set apart, then we know how to live. Then we will live in a way that honors and glorifies Jesus. So live holy. Don't live by your passions. Don't live by your desires. And number six, live accountably. Your faith and hope are in God. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Challenge here is that we will give account for the way that we live our lives. There will be a day when we stand before the Lord and we give account for the choices that we make. We will stand before the Lord and give account for how we've used our resources. We will stand before the Lord and we will give account. So we need to live now in a way that is accountable. Live now in, the real, in that reality, knowing that we have been redeemed from the futile ways. We have been redeemed from all those things that we were trying to do to lead the good life. All the possessions we thought would bring us the good life, all the relationships we thought, us, thought would bring us the good life, all the pleasures we thought would bring us the good life, all the sin we thought would bring us the good life, all the independency that we thought would bring us the good life. We have been redeemed from all those things, not by something that, that is easy, not by something that was cheap, but by the precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that is ours. That is what Jesus has done. And because we have been redeemed by the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus, our faith and hope are in Jesus. Your faith and hope are not in the stuff of life. Your faith and hope are not in relationships. Your faith and hope for your life and the way you live are always in Jesus Christ. They are always in God. And God has brought us to himself and has given us the life that really is the good life. The good life is something that belongs to all of us 
as a gift of God's grace. We're saved by grace. We live by grace. We love by grace. We relate by grace. It all comes by God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. And Jesus has paid the price for that grace. The good life comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. An indestructible life that is ours. But the challenge for us is to take hold of this resurrection life. To realize that it is our inheritance. To realize that it is what God has for us. And to choose to live day by day by day by day in the reality that Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen from the dead. And that eternal, indefeatable life is now ours through faith in him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for all the blessings you have for us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would show us any ways where we have not been living in the power of the resurrection. Show us any ways where we have not stepped forward to take the inheritance that you've given to us. Any actions that we need to do to come into full alignment with your will and your ways. You are a good God, and you're amazing. And you've given us a good life. And in that life, we rejoice. And we thank you that that life has come to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'd enable us to live in that life and share that life with those around us until this whole city comes to know that the good life only comes through Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we worship you in this time. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together and worship the Lord.